0: What you're about to listen to is the old version of this show under the title Dungeon Driver. I recorded it in my car, so the audio quality isn't the best. You can start here with these mostly rough episodes, or you can skip ahead to After the First Adventure series where Difficulty Class really starts. Either way, enjoy! up and welcome to Dungeon Driver. I'm your host Trevor Bettis and this is a show where I drive to or from work and talk about Dungeons and Dragons using either a topic that I bring or a question, topic, and suggestion written in by listeners like you. Hey, how's it going? I I know this is my normal day to do post stuff but I figured since uh, that episode screwed up yesterday and only one got posted I would record a extra episode today and it works out because I've got errands to run and this is going to be a long episode so we're gonna have a few breaks when I have to stop and do stuff, but uh, we're going to get to talk a little bit longer about uh, today's topic, which is good. And there's no car wash. We're just diving into this. Today's topic is world building, and uh, specifically world building for when you are going to do a homebrew campaign. Uh, so, you know, this would be you're not using uh, any pre written uh, campaign settings or adventures. This is your stuff. Uh, Obviously, you're going to have to have mechanics in there. We'll get into that. But this is your world. This is uh, your kingdoms, your uh, cities, your kings, your queens, your empires, all yours. And uh, some people find that daunting. Uh, and trust me, I understand, uh, others, uh, that's the first thing they think about when they, uh, think about being a dungeon master is making their own world. And so today I'm going to talk about some tips and some advice, and I have some questions to help you all with that. And so we're going to start with the questions first. That way I don't reiterate anything. Uh, and, uh, I have a couple questions, uh, from my brother, Luke. Uh, Luke is going to be, uh, doing, starting his own game soon. And he is also going to be doing a homebrew one. So this works out perfectly for him and me. Uh, and, uh, Luke's first question is, should I focus on building the starting area first or build the larger world? And, uh, from there and create, what is that? Create the world and then, uh, start the, then do the starting area. You know what I mean? So basically should he start with the starting area or, do the bigger world building first. And this unfortunately comes down to what you're most comfortable with. But the way that you can figure out that if you're not sure is, do you have a good idea of that starting area already? If you already have a good idea of that starting area, start working on it. Just go ahead. You can build out from there. If you don't have a good idea of the starting area, um, maybe start looking at it in a, I'm, I'm gonna use this term, uh, a couple times during this is the pulled back method or the, um uh, you know, grander scale. And when I say you're looking at it pulled back, it's like, imagine you're looking at a map and uh you're getting really close to it. That's when you're doing the starting the area. Then as you pull yourself back and you can see more of it, Uh that's what I'm talking about. So you can start with that, where you can do more of what the world looks like. And then from there, when you're figuring out what's going on in each area, you can get a better idea of where you want to start your players. If you already have that starting area idea, like you've read Wheel of Time and you want to have the starting area be uh, something like the Two Rivers, you can do that. But keep in mind uh, that not all of your players, might. it might be that all your players don't want to start there. Uh, That there are some that are like, oh, no, I want to come from like an icy village and stuff like that. Um, So you're going to have to work a little bit with that. You can start with your starting area and then maybe find out from your players where they see their characters coming from. And you can build out those points on the map. Uh, That way you have something to go with when your players want to start or have been from there. You have some info on it. Um, Let's see. Ah yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's gonna be all for that one. I had to read over the notes make sure. I wrote a lot of show notes today. <laughs> um so uh, let's see. Uh his second question is uh ways to uh take ideas about the setting and have them in a uh and have them and form them into something cohesive. So this is mostly a question about organization. Um you can have your notebook that uh you keep all your ideas in and you're writing stuff down as you're playing. That's totally fine. I highly recommend some kind of computer document. Um, uh, w- whether uh, that is on Word or uh, Google Docs or something, have some kind of document that you can save and pull up and organize and reorganize. That's the big thing is reorganize because there's going to be a lot of that when, as you come up with more and more things. Um, but organize it in a, organize that in a way that you're comfortable with that you find easy to get to and what information you think you need at a moment's notice, uh, when you can pull it up. But, uh, if I had to, uh, give a recommendation on something to help you with that, there is a program called Scrivener. Now Scrivener is made namely for writers, uh, it is really good for outlining and uh, writing your book, but it is also a really good place to compile documents uh, in one place. Uh, you can open up uh, in one file, you can have as many documents as you want in it and uh, pull them up just from that one source. And you know, so you can have a file in Scrivener in your in your window that is world building and then you open that folder then it has a folder for each one of your uh locations and you can in there have a document that has something about it and it just keeps going on and on from there. I use it for my writing and I've also used it for uh working on homebrew stuff. So I recommend looking into that. It's not that expensive. I think it's like $45. And it is so, so nice and will and I think will help you out a lot, but going back to the notebook thing, even if you're going to use that computer document or Scrivener or whatever, definitely keep a notebook with you while you're playing, because you will come up with ideas while you're playing, or things will get established while you're playing and you're going to want to be able to write that down real quick. Uh, and then you can go back later and add it to your document. Or, you know, if you're just doing the notebook, you got it right there. It's perfect. Uh, so yeah, I think organization wise do what feels good for you, but I do recommend the computer doc overall. I think that's going to help you the most with that. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. I got to run into one of my errands and, uh, then we'll be right back. (laughs) Hey, and we're back. Uh, All right, let's go on to question number three from my brother Luke. Uh, So his next question is, general tips for how to present the world to the party during the game, like how to make information about the world known to the players without excessive exposition. So the the, the thing is, is that I actually feel like you do need a bit of exposition. Um, Normally when I even start off a game, in, uh, Faerun and, in, in the D and D setting, uh, the first game, I'm probably giving a little bit of heavy exposition, uh, just to set the scene. Uh, like if you listen to the episode I have recorded on here with Jay and Alex, um, I do some pretty heavy exposition at the beginning about Waterdeep just so they know what's going on with it. But, um, and, and this doesn't, let me rephrase this in D and D a lot of players already have an idea of what D&D is like. Uh, either they've listened to it, they've read it themselves, they know something about the world. They know the Drower and the Underdark. They know that the Lodron and in the Feywild. They know stuff like that. But when they go into your game, they're, they're for the most part at square one. So what I recommend is that if you're doing something that's heavily different from the standard D&D setting, write up a brief overview of it, um, and give it to them ahead of time, send it to them, email them, whatever, and let them read a little bit so that they know what they're getting into. But this also, um, get some exposition out there for them that you don't have to reiterate in game. However, if you want to go in blind and this actually works, even if you're not going in blind, but a, a fun way to do it mechanically is knowledge checks. Um, and so instead of, this wouldn't be like your players asking you if they know something, because it's hard for them to ask if they know something about what they don't know to ask about. Uh, that was a fun sentence to form. Uh, you can think in your head like, oh, well, would they know this? And if you were asking that, you could say, hey, tell you what, give me, give me our contract. They roll, they, they get high, they get moderately high. Okay. You know this about the world. Or you know this about how magic works in this situation. Um, and it's a little fun way to have D&D mechanics in there, and, but also give out exposition. But because uh, it's it's kind of weird. It's kind of like you're doing it in a third-person limited view, like in, in a book, where you're not doing the narrator voice. You're telling a player what they know, what their character knows, Um which isn't just, you know, global knowledge. It's what they are knowing at that moment. So it is, then it ends up being character knowledge instead of exposition. So play around with that as you're giving out um, knowledge about the world and stuff like that. But also you can build it into your descriptions of what's around them. If you have um, magic working in some kind of crazy way, um, in your setting, when they're walking around the street, you can describe things that are using that magic so that they can see it. And they're like, Oh, how does that work? And then you can have their character roll a knowledge check to see if they know, and then you explain it to them. So some stuff like that is, is really fun. Giving out the knowledge of your world is probably one of the more exciting parts of doing uh, your own homebrew game because you, you you sit there and you think about this for so much and then you pretty much just get to gush about it uh, when your players are asking you questions. So it, it, it's, it's fun for the DM, but it's also fun for the players because they're getting to learn about a new place that they are going to be playing in for hopefully quite a while. Okay, so that is all of Luke's questions. Thank you, Luke, for writing in. Uh, I have one more question. Uh, from my sister-in-law, Allie, uh, and she asks, should world building in D&D be similar to uh, writing a book, or, or would it be better to leave it open-ended, almost uh, let the players build it up too? So I'm actually going to go into players doing that in a little bit. You can you can do that method. Personally, yes, I do think that you should uh, do uh, world building as if you're uh, world building for a book. Uh, because it's kind of the same thing because in, uh, when you're world building for your game, you and your players are going to be playing around that game. When you're world building for your book, you're playing around in that world. Like that, that's, that's what (laughs) very basis level it writing is just you playing in in a made up world. (laughs) So this time there's dice involved and friends and being social. That's good. Uh, so. Yes, totally. That's why I recommended Scrivener earlier, because um, it is very much the same when it comes to world building for a book and D&D. Doing it, the player method is a little more open-ended, and uh, I'm going to talk about that in my advice section, which is a segue into my advice section. But thank you, Alec, for writing in. Um, So there is a lot, there's a list of advice that I've got down here. Uh, then, uh, and but let's talk about that uh, that player driven one. So that is another option to do for um, for world building. You can can go to the table with very little information. You can also write a book like this too. You can discover write the world as you go along. Um, playing it in. D&D is a little bit different because unlike in a book where your readers aren't going to know every time that you pause to think up a name for something, your players will because you're doing it live. Um so you need to be a little quick when it comes to naming things and stuff like that so that there isn't the uh, uh um uh uh hey hang on a second hang on uh but instead if you do run into that consider turning to your players and asking them. Now, granted, this does open up the floor for you know, players giving you dumb names. It happens a lot. Oh, there's so many dumb names in my games. Um, but by doing this, uh, you have the opportunity to world build as a group. And I think this is probably the coolest aspect to this. And it can start all the way in character creation with a session zero. You all could sit down at a table. You have an idea of your starting area. Um, and as your players are making their characters, ask them, how do you see this character's, uh, uh, like, where do you see where they lived? Where do you see who they grew up with? And what are the cultural things that they grew up with? And so you got your notebook, and you're taking notes of all this, but as your players are telling you this, you are world building live, And that stuff that they're coming up with is now canon. And you can have a lot of fun with that and keep that going, not just in character creation, but uh, as you're going along, you could uh, get to the kingdom. They're like, oh, well, we've got a problem with a nearby kingdom called uh, uh, you. uh, Somebody somebody give me a name for it. And then someone gives you a name and you keep it going. So you can do, you can all feel like you are building this world and it, it can be very cohesive that way. It can also be, uh, for, uh, forget my language, a clusterfuck. Uh, but then again, all D&D games can end up being a clusterfuck. So uh, try that out though. Maybe, maybe just in one session or something, Get, dip, dip a toe in and see what you think. Uh, I haven't done this, but uh, having talked to someone recently who did it, sounds like a really fun way to do this. And it might be a way that I run a future uh, sandbox game because I love world building and I love kind of group world building together. I've done this with a few people and it's so much fun to do because you're just bouncing ideas off of one another. But then there's also the aspect of that you still have to play the game. Uh, So that is uh, one way that you can do that. Uh, Let's see. Uh, and, and so here is probably one of my biggest pieces of advice when it comes to world building. And is a piece of advice that uh, was given by Brandon Sanderson. Um, and that is your setting is a character. Now, my part of that is going to be, what is interesting about it? So when you decided that you wanted to make your own world, I, I, you know, there's lots of reasons why you wanted to do this, but um, there should be something that's different about your world from the world that D and D is set in, from Faerun, and and that can be in, uh, like, 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 let's take some fantasy stories, and let's do Sanderson's. He has the Stormlight Archives, where there are giant high storms that continuously ravage this land and cities are built differently in order to withstand high storms nature has evolved differently because of high storms all of these things and it's just that one setting element that changes how all of that is so what is it about your world that is different that is interesting uh, that will affect your players possibly game to game. That should be something you really look at because if you're just doing, you know, generic uh, uh, fantasy looking place, you may as well be using Room. You may as well just be using Middle-Earth. Um, so look at, when you're making this, look at what you have and figure out what fantastical thing, what fantastical element you can add to it uh, that will intrigue your players and possibly give them an obstacle. Side note, I do not recommend it being anything that's affecting the magic system, namely because it's mechanical and that kind of messes with players in a not very fun way. Um, let's see. Uh, but that, well, okay, that's a good segue. Don't forget, this is still d and You're still using... Uh, D&D mechanics, um, I do recommend that you still use all the races, all the magic, um, the gods you can fiddle with. You could probably just rename them, but keep like their lawful, their, uh, what am I thinking? Their alignments and, you know, what their gods of. That way, it's not too overcomplicated. You're not having to relearn anything as a player. Um the reason for this is again because it is mechanical. They they have they come in with a player's guide. They probably expect to be able to use that player's guide. Um, if they can't, uh, are you just making your own new game system? Um, so don't mess with that too much. You can do things where it's like, and, and I I don't personally like this, but you might like. You can have ones where magic is outlawed or looked down upon. Uh, I don't personally like those ones, but if that's what you and your group like, that is an option. That's something that is different about your setting. Um, But the other thing that you can do is you can tweak things about uh, D&D races and magic uh, in how they're described or how they look. Uh, Maybe in your world, all Tiflings are purple. Uh maybe uh in yours uh the the height difference between elves and humans are different. Uh maybe in your world drow aren't uh not um uh don't live underground. They live in forests or something like that. Maybe they have maybe they're more druidic than uh what the D&D setting has them. Doing little tweaks like that, you're still keeping the the stuff that is in that player's guide uh mechanically. But you're changing it to fit your world. And it that can be super interesting for your players because it feels like this thing that they already know so much about, there's something new to it. Um, and again, that's fun. The new stuff is always fun. That's why I keep buying so many DD books. Uh, don't be afraid to use famous DD locations. Uh, the first uh D&D game I ran in fourth edition was my own devising, but Neverwinter still existed. But I changed it, and it was Neverwinter was a small island at the very top of the world with that was kind of in the center of the, like the glacial cap, uh, and it was heating everything around it because there was a sleeping pi- primordial under it. and that's act- the primordial thing is actually kind of true, but uh, but so I took Neverwinter, took the name Neverwinter, and made it kind of literal, but I still had it set in my world. Uh, you can do this with Baldur's Gate, Waters, Waterdeep, uh, all of them, anything you want. Um, don't be afraid of doing that because these settings are meant for you to play in. So even if you take them and, uh, you know, snap them into yours, that's totally fine. Wizards of the Coast wants you to do that probably. So don't, uh, don't be afraid to do that don't look at dragon heist and be like i want to run that but i want to run in my world you can just throw water deep in there whatever doesn't matter you don't even have to use everything that's in it do what you want (laughs) why am i even giving advice just do what you want uh let's see uh uh so i did talk about uh making stuff up on the fly depth if you do definitely have that notebook next to you and uh the letting players make things during character creation man oh I, I, oh, oh, okay. One last one. Um, now you might not be artsy in any way. Uh, you might be like me who, uh, can hardly draw a stick figure, right. Uh, but can describe one really well. I, I can't tell you how much I recommend trying out drawing maps. Uh, I, I started doing this, uh, when I write, uh, when I started writing fantasy novels and, um, it, it, I got, pretty good at it, namely because it doesn't really require you to draw straight lines. And that's great because that's, that's not me. Uh, and you look up a few videos and you can learn some really important things about how coastlines form, uh, about how uh, uh, mountain ranges work and lakes, rivers. And this is really going to help you come up with your world. And especially if you sit down and draw it and you can see your world. There's gonna be you're you're gonna be able to visualize what's happening in it uh, as you're world building that much easier. This has helped me out several times. I I drew a map for uh, one setting and I swear uh, outlining like took off from there at an exponential rate because I knew where everything was in relation to each other. And that's probably the most important thing. If you've got the good kingdom and you've got the bad kingdom, you can say that, but where are they in relation to each other? And how difficult is that for one versus the other? Uh, Is one of them blocking the other's way to something? Uh, Is there another kingdom nearby that's helping? That's it, it lets you play around with it even more. And if you're not comfortable with the the drawing, take a blank sheet of paper and just write good kingdom somewhere on it. And then look at where that is and decide where in relation on that piece of paper you want the bad kingdom. Write that down. Do you want mountains in the middle of it? Write mountain really long between the two of them. And you can just write in words on a piece of paper where things are. And then that starts to form it. And then if you want to get a little bit more, you start drawing some coastlines and maybe you start drawing those mountain lines. Maybe you do little dots for trees and you can build from there and actually have a map or you can just stick with some words on a blank sheet of paper. Oh man, that was a long one. And I <laughs> was talking so much on in the second part. I forgot to go get gas, but I uh, I got home all the same. So Uh, That is going to do it for today. I hope this episode uh, helps you with world building. Uh, If there's something I didn't go over that you'd like me to talk about in a sequel episode or whatever the hell it's called, uh, please let me know. You can write in on Twitter at DungeonDriver or you can send me an email, DungeonDriverPodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yes, please please write in, not just with those, with any questions, topic, or suggestion that you might want to hear me talk about next week. Uh, Next week, we'll be back on the normal schedule. Two episodes on Tuesday, two episodes on Thursday. and As long as, you know, mics don't ruin episodes. And, yeah, uh, subscribe on anything that you would imagine you can subscribe on. I'm not on an orange or a banana, so don't subscribe to me on there. Uh, But on, you know, smartphone apps, I'm on there. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So until next week, I don't have a sign-off.